Thank you for joining us and listening to this message from the Ministry of Grace Providence Church in Cerritos, California. For more information, visit our website at www.graceprovidencechurch.org. So turn to Mark chapter 4. Our text this morning is verses 1 to 12. It's uh, Jesus' first parable that's recorded by Mark, the parable of the sower. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil, and when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew and grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 10. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Chapter 4 now is going to give us more of Jesus' teaching for the first time. Prior to this, there were a saying here, a couple of sayings there, but now we have some extended teaching of Jesus. And there's three parables in chapter 4. And this parable, I'm taking it in two parts. We're not going to consider his interpretation. He's going to tell us what this means in the verses that follow, but we'll save that for next Sunday. There's enough here in just this story to engage us and to bring out some things about this particular parable. Mark tells us over and over that Jesus taught. He says it 17 times that Jesus was teaching, but he really doesn't dwell a lot on the content of the teaching until now. Now we have it. In my Bible, it's in red letters, and there's a lot of red letters in chapter 4. 
Because Mark's focus is more on uh, what Jesus did on his miraculous works. Uh, all four Gospels record around 60 parables, 60 different ones. So this was, was one of Jesus' favorite ways of teaching people. It was an illustration. And people learn from illustrations. Often the illustrations will be remembered when nothing else was. But one will remember an illustration. So let's uh, dive into this. And first of all, I want you to note the setting in the first couple of verses. Verses 1 and 2. You see how it's in black letters in my Bible. So Mark is now setting the stage for this parable. And he, again, Jesus began to teach, and it says, beside the sea, beside the Sea of Galilee. Obviously, he's in the north, up where most of his earthly ministry took place. And a very large crowd had gathered about him. Apparently, this crowd was so large that he had to take his uh, position in a boat offshore, put a little bit of space Perhaps not because he was afraid of people touching him. We, we see that he, he was often kind of mobbed and touched by people. But it put him in a better place to be able to teach. From the, in the boat, just offshore, he could speak to a good group of people. So he could be heard even better by those who had come. You see, the multitudes, they longed to hear Jesus. They longed to hear what he said. They wanted to see him on top of it. They wanted to see what he looked like. Those who had come and had heard of him. And probably they were hoping to see some miraculous works. Notice that he sat. He sat in the boat. Sitting was the typical position or posture of a teacher. It's the opposite now. I'm standing in front of you, and you're sitting. But Matthew's account of the parable of the sower says the people stood. So it was just the reverse of what we're doing this morning. The people stood, and Jesus was sitting. In fact, uh, when he begins the Sermon on the Mount, it's very clear. Matthew 5.1, Jesus went up on a mountain, and he sat down and opened his mouth and taught his disciples, saying, Blessed are the merciful, and so on. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And then notice verse 2, and he was teaching them many things in parables. So let's just think about a parable for a moment, what it was. This was Jesus' favorite method of teaching, like I just said. He taught many, their illustrations. He made them up, they're fictional but they, were, they came out of real life. Sometimes he'd draw a parallel with nature itself or from daily life. Somebody said that a parable is an a earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's how I remember it from a class that I had. And I always remember that definition. An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. 
the word parable actually means to be sim- similar or like something else. So it's a simile, but it's an extended one because it's a, it's a story that Jesus tells. So he's using an illustration to fix the attention of the people. Everybody tunes in when they hear a story. It's just our nature when we're listening to somebody speak. And, of course, it would uh, engage the listener. It would capture their attention. It would, uh, Jesus' stories uh, were very challenging, and they made a great point. They were underscoring something, but they're kind of an allegory because there's, there's several things in his story that have meaning. Don't think of it as there's only one thing in particular in a story that he wants us to get. No, as he interprets the parable of the sower, all those details have a meaning. The different soils that the seed fell on and so on. And the result, he explains all that, what it means. So it's an important form of teaching. So let's come now to the actual parable that begins in verse 3 to verse 9. Then we'll look at why Jesus taught in parables. Notice verse 3, how it opens. It opens with a command. Listen. And then notice verse 9, drop down to verse 9. He who has ears to hear... Let him hear. It's the same word in the original, and it's also an imperative. It's a command. So the parable, uh, at the beginning and the end, we have this exhortation or command of Jesus, a call to listen, to hear. So it's underscoring the importance of the parable itself, and particularly that of listening and hearing. The importance of listening and hearing. In fact, the parable in itself actually drives that point home. And it's to hear and to listen for what end? That I may respond correctly to it. What is the response Jesus' teaching wants of us as we listen? To, to heed what he says, to obey what he says. To take it in, not just let it be water on a duck's back or let it go in one ear and out the other. (laughs) There needs to be a response, a response of obedience. Hear and heed, as we might say. Listening and hearing is very important in the Bible. God communicated with his people, Israel, and thus to the rest of the world through the Bible in the form of words. This is how he chose to do it, the printed word. A word is something that is spoken, it's read, it's to be heard, it's to be listened to. So this is the the most important thing, hearing and listening to the word of God. This is in the Old Testament. Isaiah 55 says, Incline your ear. This is God speaking. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. Notice that. The connection between hearing and that your soul may live. That you might be saved. 
that you might live forever in God's presence. It turns on listening and hearing. So it it really emphasizes that right at the beginning with this command of Jesus. And then he follows it with the command again, let him hear. Okay, so here's the story, a sower went out to sow. This is a very common scene in ancient Israel. A lot of their life had to do with agriculture and farming and seeds. So many of Jesus' teaching has to do with that. So a sower has seed, and he goes into his field, and he scatters it everywhere. Notice Jesus says some of the seed to begin with fell on the path. So this would have been probably, he's referring to a path of dirt around the field, the edges where they walk. They wouldn't walk right through the middle and trample upon their crop. The paths would be on the edges. But the ground was hard from being walked on. It's uncultivated. So the seed falls on the path. And it just lies there. It doesn't go into the dirt. And what happens? Jesus says the birds come. Immediately the birds come and they devour completely all that seed. It just disappears. There's no chance that seed that fell on the path is going to produce even a single little plant. This is the picture of the first soil. There's four soils, so mark them. So the first fell on the path, got nowhere. Complete waste of seed, as it were. The farmer, he's a, the sower and concerned about it. He's, he's indiscriminately throwing it everywhere. Let it fall there, that's fine. Maybe something will come up. So the next soil that the seed fell on, Jesus says, was rocky ground. And he describes this as a thin layer of soil that covers rocks and underneath. Now what the plant does there, or the seed immediately germinates in that situation... It grows a little root, a little plant springs up, but Jesus says that it withers away. It's scorched by the sun, and because there's no depth of earth, it can't develop a good root system, so that plant just eventually dies. It doesn't survive. But it did immediately spring up, Jesus says. So it looked hopeful at the start. It had the appearance of producing something. But, again, it turned out to be of no consequence. Nothing comes of it. And then Jesus says that the seed fell on soil that was... He says it fell among thorns, or really thistles or weeds. Think of weeds primarily. This is the idea. 
So the seed falls among weeds, and Jesus describes what happens to it. Apparently, it tries to grow, but the weeds just kind of take over. They cut off the sunshine from the plant. Uh, They take the nourishment away from that seed that's trying to grow. And so, again, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't produce a harvest. The sower, what's he looking for? He's looking for a harvest. He's planting seed in order to have a crop. But now we come to the fourth, soil, which Jesus describes as good soil. Some seed fell on good soil. So this is the area of his field where there wasn't any weeds. There wasn't any rock just underneath the surface. It wasn't packed down so hard that the seed couldn't get in. That seed goes into the soil, and what happens? It grows, it increases, it develops, and it yields a crop, a harvest. And Jesus describes the harvest as coming forth as sometimes 30, 60, 100-fold. Different degrees of a harvest. The interesting verse that I cross-reference to the idea of a of a hundredfold harvest, because it, back in the book of Genesis, chapter twenty-six and verse twelve, it says Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. So a hundredfold crop is a real blessing from God, as well as the other 60 or 30. Any harvest is a blessing. So there's the story. It's hard to forget that. Four soils, a sower, seed. He's throwing it out like this, pulling it out, throwing it around indiscriminately. Get it out onto the field. Now, in verses 10 to 12, Jesus is questioned in private by those around him with the 12. So that's a unique phrase that we found in the third chapter. These were the people that were really tuned into his teaching, that were around him, who sat around him in the house prior. And we're there with the twelve. These are his followers. They were serious. They were sincere in wanting to learn from Jesus. They couldn't get enough of his teaching. They wanted the word of God. They wanted instruction. And so they inquired about parables. They're just kind of curious why he's teaching like this. Perhaps what this one meant. So they're asking him about parables in general, and he says to them, notice his answer. And I want you to note that there's two groups here mentioned. The first group is to you. And then he's going to talk about outsiders. So there's two groups of people, and he's going to talk about for a moment, what the parables are for each of them, to them. To you, he says, 
It has been given. Who is the giver here, do you think? Well, it's God. This is, this is the gift of God. God is giving them something, his, the twelve and those that were with them, his followers who wanted to learn, they wanted to hear, they couldn't get enough of Jesus' teaching. And Jesus says, to you it has been given. What? The secret of the kingdom of God. That is to know the secret. I'm going to read that into it because that's what he's telling them. I'm teaching in parables for you because these parables actually reveal something. They're revealing the secret or the mystery. Now, the Bible talks about a secret or a mystery that is now being revealed. It's talking about something that man could never discover on his own, by his own search, by his own study. But God chooses to reveal it. It can only come by God's revelation. A secret of the kingdom of God. A mystery of the kingdom of God. The only way to know these mysteries of the kingdom is if God reveals it to us. And he is teaching them in parables in order to unfold these mysteries. If you want a whole series of mysteries that reveal the kingdom, Matthew 13 is the chapter in the New Testament. One after another, Jesus, and the parable of the sower is the first one he uses. So this is a gift of God. They didn't earn it. The disciples were not especially worthy of it. They didn't somehow deserve this revelation. It was a gift of God a gift of his sovereign grace, a token of God's love and favor to his people, to those that were sincere about listening to the Son of God. They're blessed with this revelation of the secrets of the kingdom. But for those outside, outsiders, outside the circle of his followers. So who would this be? Well, I think he has in mind his adversaries that have been following him, tracking him, trying to find fault with Jesus. The scribes, the Pharisees, and you can add to that the Sadducees and the chief priests. Those are the four great religious adversaries of the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And they're all different. Those are not the same people. Those are different sects. They have different specialties or areas of expertise in Judaism. But these men were jealous of Jesus Christ, and they were not content until he had been nailed to the cross and crucified. You see, they, they, were, they refused to hear. They weren't interested in listening to Jesus. They had no heart for what he was teaching. Their heart was hard. They were 
very bad listeners. In a way, they heard what he said, but yet they didn't hear what he said. And that's just exactly what he goes on to say. Notice this. Now, what he's going, what Jesus says in this next verse is actually an allusion to an Old Testament text. It's in Isaiah 6. It's what God told his prophet Isaiah. When Isaiah was called to the ministry to go to God's people with God's message, Isaiah was prepped by God, essentially telling him, you're not going to convert anybody. Your ministry is going to be a complete failure. The people are not going to listen to you. They're not going to hear what you say. They're not going to listen to what I say to them through you. In fact, their hearts are going to get hardened and more deadened than they were before. My minister, Isaiah's ministry is going to have the exact opposite effect upon them than what it was designed for. Notice what Jesus says. But those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive and that they may indeed hear but not understand. Let's stop there for a moment. So, Parables, on the one hand, are for revelation to God's people. They are to instruct, to teach, and inform God's people. But to the outsiders, they actually conceal the truth. Think of that. A parable does both. As far as those men were concerned, when Jesus taught in a parable, he might as well have been speaking some other language. It didn't make any sense to them. They didn't have an aptitude for it, and their attitude was all wrong. Now, it's interesting, the Apostle Paul tells us this about God's revelation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he's talking about divine revelation and he says that the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Notice, this is his attitude. He does not receive it. The attitude is wrong. The natural man is a reference to, to us as unsaved people. This is what we are, natural people. We're in our sin. We're not saved. We don't have the Holy Spirit. What's our attitude toward the things of God, the things that of God that are revealed in the Bible. We do not receive it, he says. This is Paul. This is 1 Corinthians 2.14. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Now notice. For they are foolishness unto him. <laughs> it's, it's a joke. It means nothing. I don't care anything about what the Bible says. I don't believe the Bible. This is all legends. And then Paul says, neither, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Now that's a very important statement, the other half of the verse. So the attitude of the natural man is, this is all foolishness. He doesn't receive it, not interested in it. 
But then he goes on to talk about his aptitude. His attitude is bad. His aptitude. He has no spiritual aptitude for it. No appetite for it. No understanding. He doesn't desire it. And he, furthermore, he can't understand anything. It's all gibberish to him. It's all riddles. Jesus was talking riddles to the scribes and the Pharisees with his parables. So a parable, on the one hand, reveals the truth. See, it all depends on where, who the listener is spiritually, what his condition is spiritually before God. Is he eager to hear the word, to receive the word? He's ready to act on the word. Is that his attitude? Or does he stand off with his arms crossed and, you know, he's got a completely different attitude toward it. He's not really open to it. What is, what is a position? These are, this is who Jesus is describing what the parables are to each group. To disciples, those around him, and to outsiders. I know these are, this is shocking teaching. Some of you may even wonder if I'm doing a, a given a correct interpretation. You mean Jesus said this? And it gets even more shocking with the, what the last thing is that he says. Notice. Lest they should turn... And the Greek is turn around, which is repentance, and be forgiven. So the parables for outsiders is meant to conceal the truth, to hide the truth from them. You know what this is? This, this is, what is what theologians have called judicial blindness. As a penalty for sin, God leaves people to their own devices and leaves them in to go their own way into more and more sin. We're dealing with a holy God here, a sovereign holy God. We're not to mess around with him. Very solemn words from Jesus lest they should turn around and be forgiven. Now, let me quote C.H. Spurgeon on this. This is how he put it. I'm not quoting a Reformed theologian. I'm I'm quoting Spurgeon, a pastor who had a church of over 6,000 people, loved people, loved to preach the gospel and see people saved. He says this in his little commentary on Matthew that correlates with this passage. He says, those who refuse to see and hear. Those who refuse to see and hear. This was the state of the scribes and the Pharisees, those that opposed Jesus. They were those that refused to see and hear Spurgeon says they are punished by becoming unable to see and hear. 
Sometimes the penalty of sin is to be left in sin. Spurgeon often does not talk this way in his sermons, but there it is in his commentary. So it's a reminder to us that God sometimes deals severely but justly with people. This is not God's normal, ordinary way of dealing with people. The Bible says that, God, that God's judgment is his strange work in Isaiah. I like that. It's a strange work. It's not his normal, very familiar work. He's always judging and punishing people for their sin. No, it's a strange work. It's he, out of the ordinary flow of God's actions. Now and then we see divine judgment and penalty for sin. Here's an example of it here. So it's a just punishment on those who remain willfully blind, willfully hostile to the gospel. So if we're granted the privilege of hearing the word of God, then we need to make sure that we respond in a positive way to the word. It's very important that there's a positive response from us. No response is a response. So unresponsiveness, if a person thinks, you know, I just, I'm kind of passive about this. I'm not really for it. I'm not against it. You know, I'm, that is a response of unresponsiveness. And Jesus said, he that is not with me is against me. So no response is a response in a negative sense. So we want to beware of that. Beware of an attitude of passive indifference. Oh, we want to respond with everything in us to the word of Christ, to what Jesus says. Now let me say just a couple of things about the parable itself. I'm really not going into the interpretation of it, but I want to point out some interesting details. Already suggested, the sower is indiscriminate when he's throwing the seed around. He's totally indiscriminate. He's not trying to just address certain parts of his field where he knows the seed is going to grow. He throws it everywhere. So he's thrown caution to the wind when it comes to sowing the seed. That means he's sowing very generously. He's sowing on good and bad soil. There's a certain freedom that this sower has that he's exercising. It may be terrible if the, if the sower was, you know, always concerned about, oh, I can't sow it there because I might waste some of the seed or whatever. No, he, he doesn't care about that. He just wants to get the seed out, so he's throwing it everywhere. And it's landing on these various soils that Jesus is, has described for us. Those of you that know what the sower and the seed is all about, think of that, what that means for the church. You know, in, in missions, I'm thinking of the, that area of missionary work, that, you know, where you 
look uh, at a certain culture and you look at how sensitive they are to the gospel, perhaps, or something about a culture, and then you think, oh, that's where I'm going to focus my efforts as a missionary. Hmm. Well, I believe in that one should look into the people that he has an interest in going to, of course, and knowing as much as he can about them, but to exclude one culture or language group or whatever other distinguishing factor on the basis of how he thinks they may respond more positive to what he's going to say versus another group who won't, I don't really see that in the parable of the sower. The sower is sowing everywhere because his interest is to get the seed out. Drop the seed everywhere. Now, notice another interesting thing. It was three of the four soils that were bad. Three of the four. 75% of it, we might say, was wasted. Wasted labor, wasted seed, three quarters, no harvest, no plant, no grain, nothing. Complete waste. So, you know, in a sense, we might see that these are discouraging odds, but remember how the parable concludes. It concludes with a really abundant harvest, that a a great harvest comes out of the efforts of the sower. So sowing the seed will never just turn out always to be a failure and futile. A harvest will come. You know, I'm thinking of Isaiah 55 and verse 11, so shall my word that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing which I sent it. I'll just say this, the seed represents the word of God in the parable. Jesus will tell us that, the word of God. Now, notice also that the harvest, what did, the, what did this abundant harvest depend on? Well, it depended on, obviously, good soil. It seems to turn on that, but also it had to have the seed. There had to be a sower. So all of the above is important to the harvest. The seed the soil, and the sower, which we'll look at the meaning in more depth next time. And then I want to underscore again from this parable what we're being taught by Jesus and reinforced again, and probably we'll hear it more times or I'll bring it to your attention, the truth of what Paul says in Romans chapter 10, that faith comes by hearing the word of God. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Think about what this is saying for a moment. How does a person come to be a believer? 
Paul tells us, Romans 10, 17. In fact, he, if you back up a couple of verses, he has, he has all these links in a chain that begins with, he says, uh, he says about a person needs to be called to take the word of God to other people. They, a person's called, then they go and they give them the message. The message is heard and received and they become believers. And then Paul, then he sums it all up in verse 17. And he says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The, most, the best thing that a person can do for themselves is to put themselves in a place where they're going to hear the word of God. The devil does not want you to go to church. The devil does not want, he will do everything to try to interrupt your Sunday morning so that you won't come here or anywhere else for that matter. He doesn't want you to hear God's word. This is how he loses his clients. This is how you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I've used the illustration like if you wanted to encounter a freight train, If I want to have an encounter with the freight train, the God of the Bible, omnipotence, I'm not going to go down to the mall. I'm not going to find a freight train down at the mall. There's no railroad tracks down there. If I want to encounter a freight train, I go to where the railroad tracks are, where the trains pass by and stand on the tracks. This is the best thing a person can do for themselves is to put themselves in the way where they can have an encounter with the living God, which is through the Word of God. This is how it happens. So I pray the Lord will bring us all, all of us, to a place where our total faith and trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ in His finished work for us on the cross. Amen. Thank you for joining us and listening to this message from the Ministry of Grace Providence Church in Cerritos, California. For more information, visit our website at www.graceprovidencechurch.org.